Well, our scripture reading this morning is from Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. This is found on page 527 in your pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take this Bible home for you to take as a gift from us. So let's hear the word of the Lord. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in, just, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Taylor. Well, as we prepare to begin a new book looking at together, this book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, I want to pause right now to pray and to ask the author, the ultimate author of this book, uh, God, our Father, to um, reveal himself to us and his son this morning through this. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, thank you that you uh, have spoken to us that in your son Jesus all wisdom and knowledge are found, all those things are hidden in him, the treasures and the riches of wisdom are in Jesus. So I pray that as we look at this book together, that we would see him more clearly by the power of your spirit uh, at work within us. And we pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Well, as we begin the message uh, this morning, I actually need some help uh, from you this morning, and, uh, and it's going to require you to, uh, to use your, your smartphone, so if you've got a smartphone with you, take it out, and uh, I need you to help me look up some information this morning, so uh, open up your, your browser, however you Google things on your phone, and, uh, and I'm going to ask you just to look some things up, and, and when someone's found the answer, just, just shout it out, so uh, just a few questions are going to be up on the screen, just shout out the answers when you get there. So here's the first question for you, for you to look up. And that is, uh, when was Albert Einstein born? When was Albert Einstein born? Someone look that up. Just, no. March 4th. There it is. Yeah, March 14th, 1879. Um, okay, second question. Actually, you'll, you'll maybe need the calculator app on your phone for this one. Uh, what is 4,684 times 2,365? So 4,684 times Oh, man, Sarah's on it this morning. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then this third, last question. Uh, what is the melting temperature of iron? What's the melting temperature of iron? 2,800 degrees. 2,800 degrees. There it is. Okay. So great. Give yourselves a round of applause. You're all very good at uh, looking up information on your... Th- that was weak. Come on, guys. I'm good. There you go. Yeah. All right, good at looking up things on your phone. And, and the reason I had to do this is often when we think about being smart, that's what we think of, being able to, to have information and to be able to quickly look it up, right? We, what do we call this thing in our, phone, in our hand? We call it a, a smartphone, right? We have smart speakers and smart cars and smart homes. But here's the thing. Being smart is about a lot more than just accessing or storing information, because our world is not short on information. 
We live in the information age. That's one of the ways we talk about the era in which we live, the information age. Our world is not short on information. It is not information that we lack. It's wisdom that we lack. And and no matter what it is, we all want practical advice. The the self-help industrial complex of, of books and podcasts and classes and YouTube channels and seminars that's a, that's a billion-dollar-a-year industry. Uh, we're, we're all looking for someone to tell us what to do. Where should I invest my money? What's the best diet? Uh, what's the best exercise plan? What's the best car value? What's the best strategy for, for disciplining my kids? How can I be more productive? But what if wisdom... What if wisdom was about more than good advice? What if it had to do more with a who than a what? And this fall, as we sort of enter into the new rhythm of the fall and going back to school for families and students who are in that rhythm, or or maybe for for some of you who are done traveling over the summer and kind of returning back to more of a rhythm of being at home, We want to restart, and we want to restart smart to establish some new patterns, new habits, new rhythms this fall. And we feel like it's a perfect time to look at the ancient wisdom of the book of Proverbs. And that's what we're going to do together for the next six weeks, explore this ancient book in the Old Testament of Proverbs. And and we're going to look at what wisdom is. In fact, that's what we're going to spend most of today on in the messages, looking at what is wisdom. That's today. But over the course of the next six weeks, as we explore some of these Proverbs, we're going to explore relationships and sexuality and money and work and communication and what it takes to finish life well. It's all here in the book of Proverbs. And I, it struck this uh, as I was preparing this message that, that when I meet with engaged couples that I'm going to officiate their wedding ceremony, I always stress to them the importance of good premarital counseling and meeting with someone. And, and usually I say to them as we're talking about that, so when you meet with that premarital counselor, um, if you can begin in that premarital counseling having good conversations about communication, about sex, about kids, and about money, you're going to set yourself up really well in your marriage. And it just struck me that every one of those topics is here in the book of Proverbs. And not just a couple of times, lots of times. Because every one of those areas are areas where we need not just information, but deep wisdom. But what is wisdom? And, and what is wisdom for? And, and maybe for us this morning, more, most importantly, how do we get it? Well, those are the questions we want to look at this morning as we consider these first uh, seven verses of the book of Proverbs, asking the question, what is wisdom? Um, what is it for? And then how do we get it? So first, what is wisdom? And for that matter, too, uh, it's probably worth answering the question, what is a proverb? And actually, we find both of those words, proverb and wisdom, in the first two verses of the book. Take a look again at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, 
As the book opens, we're told that these Proverbs are, are Proverbs of Solomon. And, and a proverb was simply a short sort of statement, a pithy saying that contains distilled wisdom of past generations. And the book identifies these as particularly associated with King Solomon. He was the, the son of, of King David, one of the greatest kings of Israel. And you can actually read about Solomon and his life in uh, the book of 1 Kings. You can go to the table of contents in your Bible, find 1 Kings um, in chapters 1 through 11 and read about Solomon. Uh, Solomon became king after his father, David. And as he became king, he had a dream. And in the dream, God appeared to him and asked him, and said, Solomon, you can have anything you want. What do you want? And Solomon said, I, what I want more than anything else is wisdom. And so Solomon is considered in the, the Hebrew wisdom tradition as sort of the, the source, the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom tradition. Uh, and the wisdom literature of the Bible also includes, um, yes, the, the, the Proverbs, but also the books of Job and Ecclesiastes. Um, and in the book of Proverbs, a lot of the Proverbs are are written by or authored by Solomon himself. Others are collections of Proverbs that he and others collected into what we now have as the book of Proverbs. And together those three books, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, make up the wisdom literature of the Bible. But when we talk about wisdom or wisdom literature, what do we mean? Well, the word that's often, most often translated wisdom in our English Bibles is a Hebrew word, chokmah. And the Hebrew idea of wisdom is more than simply information. It contains actually the idea of, of skill or skillfulness. It's, it's, it's applied knowledge. So, for example, in uh, the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, God is leading his people out of captivity from Egypt and into the new promised land. And Moses is, is leading this group of people out. And God gives Moses, the leader of Israel's people at that time, plans for building a tabernacle, a tent where God's presence will dwell with his people. And in the course of giving those plans to Moses, this little word, chokmah, comes up. But instead of being translated wisdom, it's actually translated ability. So look at Exodus chapter 31, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by the name Bezael, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability, with chokmah, with wisdom and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. So built into this idea of wisdom is a skillfulness, an application of the knowledge to life. The book of Proverbs is about skill and living, applied knowledge, the accumulated wisdom of generations that reveal God's design for a life well lived in the world. There's two big chunks in the book of Proverbs. The first nine chapters are a series of, of speeches from a father to a son. And they really lay out the framework, the worldview for how we should think about God's world and the world of the Proverbs in particular. And then in chapters 10 through 31 are, is actually the collections of the sayings of Proverbs, those short pithy statements that we think about when we think Proverbs. Because if you start reading Proverbs, the first nine chapters aren't those short little pithy statements. There's this set of speeches. 
But when you get to chapters 10 through 31 is where you find that collection of the sayings. Now, before we go too much further, though, as we're going to be studying Proverbs, I want to give you just a few sort of handles and tips for reading Proverbs well so we don't misunderstand or misinterpret them. Um, these are actually, these three little tips I'm going to give you are from the Bible Project's video on Proverbs, which you should definitely check out this week. You can just Google the Bible Project Proverbs and, and watch that video. It's a great overview of the book and how it works. Um, but first we need to stand, if we're going to understand Proverbs, well, we need to understand the moral logic of the book, the, kind of the worldview of the book of Proverbs. And, and that gets unpacked in those ten father-son speeches in the first nine chapters. And this is the, the moral logic of Proverbs. If you have wisdom in the fear of the Lord, and more on the fear of the Lord in just a little bit, then you will become a person of, of virtue and integrity and generosity, and that will lead to a life of success and peace. If you have these qualities, if you become this kind of person, it will lead to a life of success and peace. On the other hand, however, if you are a person of folly and evil, then you will become selfish and prideful, which will lead to a life of ruin. These are the two paths in Proverbs. So we need to understand that moral logic of how the world of the Proverbs work. But second, we also need to understand that life doesn't always work according to that moral logic. We live in a fallen, broken world that doesn't always work out like that moral logic. Uh, some scholars have put it that the Proverbs are about probability rather than promise. So we should not understand that the Proverbs are sort of unbreakable promises or guarantees about how life will always work out for us. Rather, they focus on the general rule, not the exception. For the exceptions, you have to look at the book of Job and Ecclesiastes. It's why we have those two books in our Bibles. They deal with life in the exceptions. Proverbs deals with the general rule. Okay, so consider, for example, Proverbs 15.1. This is an example of one of those short, pithy statements. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It was one of the first verses that my mom had me memorize as a child. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, generally, that's true, right? If you respond to people with gentleness and patience, you can avoid anger. But sometimes people are just going to be jerks no matter how gentle your response is, right? You've had that experience. So generally, that's true, but there are exceptions. It doesn't always work that way. Or what about Proverbs 22, 6, a verse that's haunted many parents. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, this is generally true. Often it works out that way, but there are lots of exceptions to this. You can be the best parent in the world and still have a child who walks away from everything that you've tried to model and instill in them, not because there's anything wrong with you, but simply because of their own choices. So, so ultimately, life is far too complex for simple formulas alone, which is why we need Job. It's why we need Ecclesiastes to complete the biblical vision of wisdom that doesn't conform always to the the simple patterns of Proverbs. 
And then third, uh, biblical wisdom literature is, is different from law and from prophecy. Uh, it's about exploring how to live well in God's world. Wisdom is not commands like in the, the law of the Ten Commandments that thou shalt not or, or thou shall. And it's not quite the same as, as when you read in the prophets, you know, here's thus saith the Lord. He's speaking to a particular group of people at a particular time. No, rather, wisdom is the accumulated insight of God's people of the generations distilled into these statements of how life usually works, how life works best. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is skill at living well, skill at living well in God's world. Which leads us right into our second question this morning, which is what is wisdom for? Again, ultimately, wisdom is for living well in God's world. That's what the book of Proverbs is. It's a guide for living well in the world that God has made. Uh, And and listen to how the book describes this uh, in in these first verses, 2 through 6. This is what the book is about. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, there's a lot packed into those five verses, but taken together, those things stacked on one another, is they're communicating the goal of this book in our Bibles is to equip us with tools to live well in God's world, to give us skill at living and navigating the world that God has made according to his design. The book of Proverbs is designed to help us live along the grain, to go with the grain of the world that God has made, rather than running and rubbing against the grain. It's sort of like petting a cat. You know, we have, we have three cats at home, and uh, as our kids have grown up and been able to start petting them, you have to kind of teach them how to pet the cat, right? You pet the cat with the cat's fur. And if you do that, you get a happy, purring creature. However, if you pet the cat against its fur, uh, you get bitten and scratched, <laughs> right? This is just the way, this is the way that cats work. Well, the way that God's world is designed, it also has a grain. And if you go with that grain, if you go with that design, generally, again, not always, but generally things will go well for you. If you don't, if you run against that grain, then things will be difficult, be hard, will lead to ruin. Proverbs is trying to teach us how do we live with the grain of the universe, with the grain of the world that God has created, rather than against it. And also notice the tight connection in verse 3 between wisdom and then righteousness, justice, and equity. So wisdom and then righteousness, justice, and equity. I don't know if we often think about wisdom and then that kind of constellation of ideas of righteousness, equity, justice together, but Proverbs links them together closely. And one of the foremost scholars on Proverbs today, Bruce Walkies, notes that while those things aren't synonyms, wisdom isn't synonymous with justice or, or equity, those terms do always refer to the same kind of person. 
So listen to what he says. In other words, a righteous person is wise, and a wise person is righteous. In practical terms, the righteous enrich the community, the wicked impoverish it. The righteous trust Israel's God and are pious. The wicked trust self and are self-centered and are impious. In other words, the wise trust the sages' inspired knowledge to love others and God, not self. The fool trusts himself and loves himself, not God and other people. The biblical wisdom literature transforms the neutral word wisdom into virtue. So what is wisdom for? What are the Proverbs for? What are these pithy statements for? They are to help us live well in the world that God has created. They, they help shape us into the kinds of people who love God and others above ourselves, who are willing to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of other people, for the sake of our community. So, and he, here's kind of the point of this. You can be an evil genius. That is a category of things that exist in the world. People who are evil and are brilliant, the, the evil genius. But you cannot be an evil wise person. You can be evil and be brilliant, but you cannot be wise and be evil. This is where wisdom, it's different than just being smart. It's different than just having a high IQ. You can be, have an incredibly high IQ and still be a jerk. You can be brilliant and still be a fool. Wisdom is about the skill in living life well in God's world. So what is wisdom and what is it for? Wisdom is the skill in living life well in God's world. But now then the question, and this is what we, what we all want to know, right? It's like, okay, how do we get it? How do we get this wisdom, this skill in living life well? Well, we find the answer in chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And again, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, repeats the similar idea. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom always begins with fear in the biblical understanding. Why is that? Well, it's important first to know that there are different kinds of words for fear in the Old Testament. There are words that describe the idea of, of terror, but that isn't the word that's being used here. We're not talking about terror. Rather, the fear of the Lord is the idea of knowing and respecting the boundaries that God has established. The fear of the Lord is about knowing and respecting the boundaries that God has established. The fear of the Lord is about taking a posture of humility. It's, it's adopting a posture of awe and respect for God as the creator and ruler, the one who has designed the world, the one to whom we are accountable. The fear of the Lord knows that I live under the constant watch and care of God to whom I must give an account of my life. It's about an audience of one. And see, we cannot be wise until we recognize that God, not us, not we, are not the, the supreme reality in our lives. See, so long as you put yourself first, as long as you trust in your own understanding, you will continue to live foolishly, no matter how savvy or brilliant you may be. And also notice both in Proverbs 1-7 and also in Proverbs 9-10, that the words wisdom and the words knowledge are linked together. 
Those, those concepts are, are inseparable in the Bible, wisdom and knowledge. And the idea of knowledge in these verses, again, it isn't sort of just knowing when Einstein was born or knowing what the melting temperature of iron is. In fact, do you know where the first time the word knowledge shows up in the Bible? It's actually on page two. It's right in the very beginning of your, of, of your Bible. It's on page two, chapter two of your Bible. It's in describing in Genesis chapter 2, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The, this knowledge is the knowledge of God's design for right and wrong in the world. And the point that Genesis and indeed the whole Bible makes is that we only get that knowledge in relationship with God. You see, it was when Adam and Eve rejected their relationship with God by choosing to define right and wrong on their own terms, to choose to find right and wrong for themselves, that the whole world broke, that the whole thing went wrong. You see, in Genesis, God had defined right and wrong for Adam and Eve, and then he asked them to trust him, that he would reveal the way to live in this world that he had made. Right was obedience, not eating from this tree. Wrong was, was disobedience, eating from the tree, not trusting him. Because you see, there, there was nothing about the fruit of the tree itself that was the problem. The problem was the moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed by eating the fruit that, that God had prohibited them, that sent them down the deadly, destructive, indeed to use the language of Proverbs, the foolish path of defining right and wrong for themselves apart from God. This is the great, the great fall, the great rupture in Genesis chapter 3 is that Adam and Eve choose to define right and wrong for themselves in their own terms apart from God. You see, to get wisdom, to get knowledge, you have to believe that God loves you and that he wants what is best for you. Otherwise, you'll never trust him. But the, the problem is, after the fall, all of, our, all of our hearts, all of our lives are infected with the lie of the serpent from the garden, that God doesn't really love us, that he doesn't want what's best for us, that he can't really be trusted, that, he, that he's holding back, that he's holding out. We are all trapped by the lie of the, sa- of the snake who says to Eve, did God really say? Did God really say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Which was a lie. God had said they could eat from any of the trees of the garden except the one. The lie immediately makes God less gracious. It undermines their trust. It questions God's goodness. And all of us still have that lie deep inside of our hearts that says, is God really good? Did God really say? But those things, those are literally the oldest lies in the book. See, God gave Adam and Eve an incredible abundance, and, and, when, uh, and then he asked them to trust him, to define right and wrong, to be in relationship with him. And trusting God as our loving Father is the only way to wisdom. It's the only way to life and joy. It's the only way to what we truly want deep down. And this is why Jesus is essential for wisdom, uh, for not only, for it's only when we, we have him that we come to know and trust God, not as, 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 as judge or as sort of this cosmic law enforcer, but as our loving Father 
the Father of lights who is the source of every good gift. So only Jesus can unwind the lies. Only he can break the chain of the snake that whispers to be really happy. You have to escape this restrictive killjoy God who wants to control you. He's holding back on you. There's something good that he's keeping from you. In Jesus, we come to obey and trust in God as true wisdom. We come to understand that living in dependence and trusting in him is the, not only our duty, but it's the only way to our true delight. So fearing the Lord is about recognizing God as God and then letting him define right and wrong. I love how Tim Mackey puts this. He says, the fear of the Lord is a posture of humility before God, embracing his definition of good and evil, even when it's difficult or inconvenient. Knowledge of good and evil only comes in a relationship with God. Information is about knowing a what, but wisdom is about knowing a who. Indeed, it's about knowing the who of the universe, maker and creator of all things. And this, too, is how wisdom differs from advice. Wisdom is different from advice because I can take advice without taking the person who gave it. But you can only get wisdom by getting Jesus. Wisdom isn't something that he can give you apart from himself. Wisdom isn't something that you can receive apart from receiving him. If you'll permit me, what I, what I hope isn't too uh, crass or irreverent of an illustration, we often treat Jesus like a butcher at a meat counter. We want to go in and, and order a few steaks and pay and say thanks and then leave and go home and, and grill the steaks without giving a second thought to the butcher that somehow we can separate the, the, the gift and the giver. And that's so how often we come to Jesus. We want salvation and new life and heaven and wisdom. And, and we want to know, well, how much is it going to cost me? What am I going to have to give up? Okay, and then I'll take those things, thank you very much, and I'll go on with my life apart from Jesus. But that's simply not how this works. Again, without being too irreverent or crass, Jesus is actually much more like the cow than the butcher. He can't give you the stakes without giving you himself. You can't receive them without receiving him. You can't enjoy them without enjoying him. Justification, salvation, wisdom, etc., they are all found in him. He couldn't give those things to you without giving you himself if he wanted to. They are all in him. If you want them, you have to get into him, him into you. It's a relationship. So wisdom is about receiving and trusting a person. It's not just about being smart or knowing a lot of stuff. It's about humbling ourselves and trusting ourselves to someone else. See, wisdom isn't about having a high IQ, but having a high HQ, a high humility quotient. So what's one next step that we can take together this week as we begin to embark on this journey of studying Proverbs together? It's actually a stop doing. A lot of times we, you hear start doing something. This is actually a stop doing something. Stop pretending you got this. Stop thinking that you have all the answers. Instead, adopt a posture of humility that seeks to learn from the scriptures how God has designed the world to work. Actually ask other people in your life who you trust 
for their insight on how to live life well and listen to what they have to say. Pay attention to your your pastors, your leaders, your mentors, those who are further along than you in life. Read the scriptures not just for biblical information, but asking the question, who is the God that this book reveals and how can I know him and obey him and delight in him and enjoy him? You see, we don't just need smarter heads. We ultimately need new hearts. Bruce Waltke astutely points this out. He says, a person could memorize the book of Proverbs and still lack wisdom if it had not affected his or her heart, which informs behavior. Again, wisdom is not about storing and retrieving information. We are far more than brains on sticks. We are loving, longing, desiring creatures and the seed of our will, emotions, and decisions in the biblical framework is is this thing called our hearts. And so until this wisdom gets into our hearts where we're making decisions, where our behavior is shaped, we won't ever truly be wise, which is why the life of wisdom is necessarily a life of faith. Not faith as sort of blind belief in the absence of any sort of facts or knowing, but faith as the way of knowing. Because it is by faith in God's promises that we come to have a new heart. It is by faith that we come to know Jesus who wisdom, in whom wisdom is made personal. Jesus is the ultimate wise person. Jesus claimed to be greater than Solomon. Paul declared in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the ultimate one who disadvantaged himself for the sake of others. He is the ultimate one who trusted God in everything. He is the ultimate one who didn't give in to the temptation to define good and evil on his own terms, but trusted his Father. He is the ultimate one who obeyed God even when it cost him his very life. Friends, if you want to be wise, do you want to be wise? then look to Jesus, not just as an example, but as your Savior. For only when you have Jesus, not just as a good example to be followed, but as your Savior to be trusted and loved and treasured and obeyed, will you find your heart bent toward wisdom rather than toward folly? Will you find yourself living with the grain of the universe rather than against it? It is in Him that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that now, even this morning, that you would undo and unwind the lie of the enemy that says that you don't love us, that you don't want our good, that you are withholding from us, Would we see you in Jesus as you truly are, as our loving Heavenly Father who gives his children good gifts? Would we trust you? Would we love you and treasure you? Would we come to know you fully in Jesus who has revealed the Father to us by the power of the Holy Spirit who has sent into our hearts to bear witness that we are indeed your children. We pray this now for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.